With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick! Sorry, kids! Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, Psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Welcome to the Connecting with Coincidence radio show with Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, bringing together the world's synchronicity experts to help you use meaningful coincidences to develop spiritually, psychologically, and practically. For more information, put Connecting with Coincidence into your web browser to find the book, website, Psychology Today blog, YouTube channel, and Facebook page. And now, here is the host of the Connecting with Coincidence radio show, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Connecting with Coincidence. Yes, I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. So glad you are with us, you loyal fans, with us again. Here we are looking into all aspects of coincidences with people from around the world. Spread the word about the show. Word of mouth is how we grow. And here's a question for all you all you out there in coincider land, think about this one. What is the purpose of humankind? Each one of us has some idea about what our purpose might be, or at least tries to, but what about the whole entity, the whole organism, the whole thing of humanity, this humankind organism, this creature that we are all part of? Humankind continues to destroy its habitat and create strife. How does this fit into the primary purpose of human life? Because we don't have the purpose in sight, we act without thinking about the consequences to people of the future. Is purpose to be found out there in some grand design? Or is it all random chance requiring each person to make up a personal meaning? Or is there a specific purpose for each person to find for themselves and for humankind to find collectively? 
that's a question for today and what I'm working on and developing for my Psychology Today blog and for my upcoming book on coincidences. Our guest today is Dr. Martin Sand, who works at the Department of Values, Technology, and Innovation at TU Delft University on moral luck in science and innovation. He studied European culture and history of ideas at the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology, focusing on philosophy and ethics of technology. Sand obtained his PhD in 2018 with a thesis about the future, about the visions, futures, and responsibility about the ethics, the ethics of innovation. Sand is a member of the editorial board of the Springer Journal Philosophy of Management and a member of, yes, 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 the Serendipity Society, of which I also am a member. During his PhD, he taught business ethics and engineering ethics at the Technical University of Kaiserslautern. I'm glad to say that name. Welcome to the show, Martin. Thank you very much for the nice invitation, Bernie. I'm glad to be here. It was great talking to you at the Serendipity Society meeting in London in September. That's where we first met. I agree, yeah. We talked about that uh, my parents came from around the same area that you did, uh, uh, around Kaiserslautern and and, uh, Mannheim and in Germany. And you um, somehow got pulled out of uh, Germany, uh, you told me, um, and, and ended up uh, at TU Delft uh, in the Netherlands. How did that happen? Yeah, interestingly, uh, yeah, indeed. I, um, well, I grew up uh, close by to, to Heidelberg. Um, and, uh, well, when I, before I started doing my PhD at the KIT in, in Karlsruhe, I uh, went as a master's student student of philosophy to Strasbourg in uh, France and uh, met my current partner, my, my girlfriend, who is from the Netherlands, and she attended as a post, uh, as a PhD student from, from at Erasmus uh, Rotterdam University. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's how our relation started. And uh, just two years ago, I decided to, to move to the Netherlands and uh, start a start a new life <laughs> sort of uh, and uh, luckily also got a position at the TU Delft uh, with my with my current fellowship to to um, yeah do the project that I'm currently doing on moral luck in science and innovation so that was an exciting coincidence it really changed my my life uh, people meet each other all the time um, uh, for, for you met in Strasbourg, which sometimes has been part of France and sometimes part of Germany. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, my uh, my mother's uh, parents uh, were married in Strasbourg uh, on what became my birthday, February twenty seventh, and of course they didn't know that was my birthday when they got married. But it's one of those fun things now that now some you had quite a coincidence in Strasbourg, where you met your wife. Now, was yes. there anything dramatic about that meeting uh, that, that was out of the ordinary? Uh, did people introduce you, or did you meet somehow in some strange way? Well, there, there was a summer school. Um, a lot of a lot of young scholars that uh, were dealing with the ethic, broadly conceived ethical questions uh, in a European context were, were meeting there. Um, and Strasbourg, because of the history that Strasbourg has with uh, being so close to the, to the German-French border, uh, and because it's the the seat of the of the European Parliament, um, there is a, or one one part of the of the European uh, of the European uh, political uh, system. Um, it is it is a typical meeting place for. Uh, of organizations that want to bring scholars from Europe together, so huh, huh. it was not particularly um, and not a particularly uh, exciting. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of a lot of people were there in in our age, but as a person, of course, my 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 partner is a very exciting person. Not someone I I would say not someone that you meet uh, everywhere. <laughs> very unique, a very unique uh, person. So, how did you meet her at this conference? 
actually we uh, <laughs> i came uh, i came a bit late i came directly from from another uh, conference in in berlin uh, and entered the introductory lecture a bit too late so all eyes were on me um, everyone was looking at and staring at me and um, i i was so tired that in this introductory lecture which uh, well everyone was was engaged in I almost fell asleep and uh, some people including my my girlfriend also recognized that and that's uh, what she pressed me on then later on in in the week but you didn't know her when you walked in did you no I didn't no, no so how, how, how did she end up pressing you about sleeping we well we then in the course of the of the of the week we uh, we went out in the evenings and uh, had a couple of beers and and then how did how did it happen that you went out that's that first meeting with her is what i'm asking about that is that is a good question we i can't recall the details anymore but we were at a certain point we decided that we will be we will be going out and yeah uh, well that's the the question is that is, is that when we talk about coincidences that are kind of dramatic it's that what brings the two people together and yeah. uh, and you can't yeah. remember and uh, that's that, that's okay but that's what i'm trying to ask you about but let me ask another question um we're both members of the serendipity society and one of the questions for the society uh, is what do we mean by serendipity and and was would you call this meeting of of your girlfriend then the serendipity I always associate serendipity more with with scientific discoveries, so uh -huh. with, with new insights, new findings, and not not any kinds of events. So I would not consider this as a particular serendipitous um, instance. There are serendipity stories, um, a, a movie called Serendipity about romance. That's a romance one where a person writes her name on a bill and uh, maybe a $5 bill and wants to see if the guy she first met will find it. Uh, and the whole movie is about the two of them finding the, his finding the bill again and she finding a book that he had inscribed. Uh, so the word serendipity in the general public is used in, in a broader way. Mm -hmm. But for you, it's, it's a scientific discoveries and, yep. uh, and, yep. In, Something narrower, yeah. It's a narrower definition, okay. And I want to get that straight. And uh, when you call, when you use talk about serendipity in science, what do you mean? I a typical a typical example for me of a, a serendipitous um, discovery in science is penicillin. That is really a, a paradigm case of a serendipitous. A serendipitous discovery. In we'll, a sense, we'll, we'll go. We'll go into the detail of, Ale, of Alexander Fleming and that one because it's one of the best stories there is. Not only the discovery of by by Fleming, but also the whole history of the production of penicillin is a story worth <coughs> going through. But what, generally speaking, when you define serendipity in science and technology, what do you mean? I, I'm I'm very uh, I'm very um, appealed to the way the Peck Van Andel, also one of the you remember one of the um, yes I part, partici uh, participants hard to, forget, hard to forget him yes sir. yeah hard no. to forget um, one of the participants of the uh, Serendipity conference last year in, in London uh, always calls it the un the unsought finding something that you haven't been looking for uh, and you you stumble upon and and, and, okay. it's, it's and one I, of the it's one of the potential definitions yes i know and I, but i'm trying to see what you have we're coming to the end of this segment uh you're listening to connecting with coincidence i'm your host dr bernie Beitman, md we are talking with philosopher martin sand
Patty Conklin grew up in Brooktondale, New York with a unique ability. Unlike others, she could see how the vibration of words and emotions affected the physical body. She discovered how to release stored emotion and facilitate healing. This began today's Conklin method of cellular cleansing. The private practice grew with tremendous results, as did her reputation. More and more people sought her out, bringing her into the home for healing. She soon realized she could even teach this to others, and they could shift perception and thus prevent illness from occurring. Patty Conklin quickly became a frequent keynote speaker, and she developed a curriculum for teaching the Conklin method of cellular cleansing. For more information, visit pattyconklin.com. P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. pattyconklin.com or call 404-474-0086. That's 404-474-0086. Mission Evolution is dedicated to the well-being of the planet and animals, as well as the evolution of humankind. One major factor threatening all three is increasing toxicity. Heavy metals and other environmental toxins are poisoning our bodies, deteriorating our brains, blocking our spiritual connection, and shortening our lives. Yet these poisons are extremely difficult to remove. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, and I recently became aware of a product created from the marriage of nature and nanotechnology called Vitality. It's formulated from zoolite, whose crystalline structure binds toxins, gently carrying them out of the body. The light is only as clear as the window through which it shines. Clear your body, shine your light into the world. Visit VitalityHappens.com for a 20% discount. Enter code PATHHOME. President of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. Welcome, uh, welcome back. Welcome back to CC with BB. I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Biteman, MD. We're talking with Martin Sand, and we're going through some some very important definitions. Uh, what do we mean by serendipity is one of them, and another is what we mean by luck. But let's do the fantastic story of Alexander Fleming and the discovery of penicillin. Martin, a lot of people still don't know that story. Why don't you tell us about it and why you got interested in it? I know... Uh, Serendipity Society leader is interest, has written a dissertation on that subject, on penicillin and its discovery. But what's, what's it to you? Tell, describe it to us and what it means to you. So it, this is really a fantastic, a f- a fantastic and a paradigm example for a, a serendipitous discovery, the, the discovery of penicillin. And, and often it is really reduced to the moment in which or the circumstances in which Alexander Fleming really came across this speck of mold in a in a petri dish in his laboratory in which he was working in the year 1928. Um, but serendipity is, is sort of, and that is also what my colleague Samantha is often alluding to, really the fact that luck has been involved in several stages of the process from Alexander Fleming's original work in London in the 20s until we had this final medical drug that could deal so well with bacterial infections. So we really have a really a complex a complex narrative from uh, Alexander Fleming doing work in 
antiseptic substances to having a, uh, a final medical drug, a medical product that uh, can easily handle bacterial infections. And, and that is a, is a really a striking paradigm case of, of serendipity. Um, but the most, the most central uh, moment in which, in which something very uh, unexpected and lucky happens in the, in the story is in September 1928. Because in August, Alexander Fleming leaves his laboratory and he had, before he leaves on holidays for a couple of weeks, he has inoculated a couple of petri dishes with, um, with bacterial cultures. And while he's gone, he uh, doesn't he doesn't expect it. He returns after a couple of weeks, and a mold has infected one of those petri dishes. And so he returns and he has a look at the at the petri dish and first wants to to discard the petri dish and thinks, well, there's nothing interesting that happens all the time that. A mold infects one of those petri dishes, um, but he sees that the bacterial culture that he planted there before did not grow closer to the mold. So he realizes that there is an antiseptic mechanism going on here. Because, which, because in 1921, he had had uh, mucus from his nose drop onto a petri dish and also created a halo of inhibition that he again saw in 1928 with the mold juice. Yes, so he was aware of which kind of effect he was looking for. He had sort of he had that sort of preparedness that is right. often that is often connected with the with the term serendipity that yeah. it, it is this combination of chance and wisdom as yes. Semenza says. Yes. So in a sense he was clearly prepared to identify what what was going on here but that that mold would appear in the petri dish is certainly has certainly been beyond his control beyond his control uh, he that one of the characteristics of Fleming might have been his Scottish heritage that he didn't throw everything away he didn't he didn't clean up before he left he he looked to see if anything had happened because he wanted to make sure that maybe something had happened that might be worth his his interest and also that I've, re I've read something about the temperature in London dropping around the right time for the mold to come through the staircase uh, from another laboratory and land on his petri dishes and the temperature had to be right for the mold to be able to grow first if it had been too hot it might not have and it was a hot summer so there were a lot of other variables that may have played a part in this very dramatic discovery so please continue Yes, and and of course that had that had at the time uh, you 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 would expect if if that had had been sort of a linear development, the the publication in which Fleming first describes this mechanism uh, would have had massive repercussions in the scientific community. But it was actually uh, not really uh, it didn't draw a lot of attention no, uh, until. No, yeah. No, not at all. Until until almost twelve years later, uh, until in an Oxford study group uh, with uh, Howard Florey and Ernest Chain became yeah. became aware of this paper and picked it up again. And that is sort of the next step in in this in this series of highly unlikely events um, that eventually leads to the success of penicillin. My I, my understanding of that story is that uh, that Chain and what's his name uh, also Flory and Flory um, needed something to clean out their petri to clean out their flasks, and it happened that some of the um, lab assistants had been using uh, penicillin 
to to wipe out bacteria that might be in their flasks. Mm. So they wanted to find this penicillin as a result of this, uh, as you as they saw the paper. But there it was, right there in their laboratory, with people using it to, to antibacterialize the flasks. Mm. So Florian Chain uh, wanted to, they were studying, as I understood it, um, how cell membranes might be broken down. Uh, mm -hmm. They weren't even looking for an antibiotic. Indeed, indeed. But, but they were the, the group that picked up uh, Fleming's yes. finding yes. because he, yes. himself, he himself, as far as I'm aware, recommended to use penicillin only once for clinical application in a case ah. where a, 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 someone he knew was uh, having a bacterial infection. Mm -hmm. um, and then only only after Chain and Flory got uh, got uh, interested in in penicillin. They started doing systematic clinical trials. Yeah, yeah, and and, that's uh, and a lot of funny things good. happen in that too. Picking a guinea pig rather than a rat, uh, where the penicillin might have killed the rat but didn't kill the guinea pig. And there were all kinds of other little things that happened. But they were able to determine that it had some uh, antibacterial capacities for people. And then what happened? And that yes, indeed, and they they started systematically uh, they started systematically studying that the it could be used to yeah. to as a as a drug to treat uh, bacterial infections, um, and under the impression of that of of the Second World War that was starting to come into uh, well starting to to uh, emerge all over Europe, um, they tried to speed up the uh, finding uh, a penicillium strand that was highly yielding so that it could be produced in 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 uh, uh, in a, in a very big uh, in in very on a very big scale uh -huh. but they themselves couldn't find such a such a high yielding yielding strand of penicillium and so uh, Another person becomes very important who is who is by now almost forgotten in this yeah. story. And that is this is a lady called Mary Hunt. Yeah, and she was the one to identify what that became for a number of decades the actual strand of penicillium that would be the basis of an industrial of a, of a mass production industrial scale production of penicillin. Yeah, yeah. She, she, as much as Fleming, should get credit for finding that mold in the in the in a farmer's market in Peoria, Illinois, is where she found it. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's and she's ended up in history only being called Moldy Mary. Yes, and it's it's a shame because uh, she was so instrumental on the other end, just like Fleming started it. She found it serendipitously, I would call, or by luck, however we define that, by looking around and seeing this gold stuff on a melon in uh, Peoria while the U.S. had sent out its military looking for mold all over the world. And there was Mary Hunt finding it right there in her farmer's market in the same town that she was uh, where they had corn liquor to grow the stuff in. Indeed. And it's in a sense, and that and that relates to the what, what I'm so... So uh, what what intrigues me so much about Luck's involvement in this type of scientific discoveries is that uh, it's a big injustice that she received so little attention for her contribution for is. her contribution to to the to the discovery. Agreed. And so, how, how do you how do you process that? Uh, we're coming to the end of this, as as our bell might just kind of told us. But uh, what we what we're going to talk about here is what is the, what are more the ethics of this situation in which Fleming got uh, and Chain and Flory got Nobel prizes, and Mary came away with only the name Moldy Mary when. Uh, her contribution at the other end uh, was so necessary for the whole thing to have happened. You're, you're listening to Connecting with Coincidence. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We are talking with Martin Sand, and we will be going into what luck and ethics in scientific discoveries.
skeptical audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com or www.exxonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Charles Barkley in a pickup game. We'll take Barkley. Ha! First pick! Sorry, kids! Yep, even easier than that. With no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? Okay, here's the plan. Pass me the ball every time. This is banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. Center and Studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember, Exxon Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. Join Patty Conklin and Healing Within Radio each week. More than entertainment, Healing Within offers educational, useful tools for everyday life. Listen for help overcoming fear, anxiety, and depression. Patty knows about eliminating cancer, MS, dementia, Parkinson's, and a host of illnesses that we face every day. Life can be good. Life is good. All you need are simple tools to start changing your life. Start right now by visiting pattyconklin.com, P-A-T-T-I-C-O-N-K-L-I-N. No matter where you are in the world, you can work with Patty through Skype, phone, or in person, visiting one of her retreats in Georgia. Visit pattyconklin.com today or call our offices at 404 474 0086. That's pattyconklin.com or call 404 474 0086. Coming soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who would like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. You're listening to, uh, yes, this is Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, and you're listening to Connecting with Coincidence. We're talking with Martin Sand about one of the most phenomenal scientific serendipitous events in uh, at least Western world history from what we know, the discovery and manufacturing of penicillin. Um, Alexander Fleming discovered it serendipitously in Petri dish in 1928. But Mary Hunt in Peoria, Illinois in the 1940s found the strain of penicillin mold that could lead to mass production, which probably contributed a good deal to the Western, the, the Allies' victory in World War II because a lot of American Western and American and Allied soldiers could be saved from devastated infections by the use of penicillin. So what about the fact that Mary Hunt and other people like her, and there was a whole sequence of events involved besides her, but Mary Hunt gets so little attention 
what are the what do you how do you think about that ethically, Martin? So that the fact that the fact that she and she's only one of the of the many people who received very little credit for her contribution to what made penicillin penicillin a global medical revolution and a global medical success is that um, well what in the end I, I mean individually uh, she has she has to her great injustice has been done because that contribution was not acknowledged uh, then uh, on the other hand we have to look at how much praise and how much public recognition Fleming received to whom it seemed as if the whole the whole success story in which we have now seen in, in our last segment so much luck has been involved everything that that happened in that time and so much has beyond his control is still attributed to his his own capacities as a scientist so he's he's really has been praised he has been celebrated as a scientific as a sort of scientific god, yeah. almost a godlike creature. Yeah. And not only is it uh, from the perspective or looking at, at people uh, like um, Mary Hunt a great injustice to her, but also in a sense a bit of a, or a, actually a strong um, sort of a paradoxical emphasis on him as a, as a scientist to attribute all these events that together led to the global success of penicillin to him as a person. Yeah, and it, it, it's part of it to me is this uh, wanting to have the white male hero um, be acknowledged and recognized as the one who makes it all happen. Uh, but what, what are your ideas about how this injustice has taken place? It is certainly it might have been it might have been motivated by that by the idea that that uh, we have this one white guy that is an absolute genius. Um, there, but there is in general a resist a strong resistance, and that is still prevailing in science to acknowledge just how much luck is involved in both the academic career path that includes the the choice of of supervisor, the choice of the host university in which you undertake your research um, and in the scientific or in the research aspect of science itself. Because if we acknowledge that, we also have to admit that it takes a lot away from, from, from the agent in terms of contributing to the, to the outcomes of scientific successes. I think so, it's about, it's about time to define luck um, because it, it's defined in lots of ways. I use it when uh, opportunity meets preparation and add uh, perseverance. So you got to keep going for it before it happens. And I went, and so luck is luck be a lady tonight is a great song. But what, how do you define luck? I think that, well, here in contrast to serendipity, where, where I think that the, it's often emphasized or underscored that there is a, there is a moment of wisdom or sagacity included in, in the serendipity uh, paired with chance. Luck in itself is by definition, and a lot of philosophers follow this definition, really beyond the agent's control. So if you had, if you had an, an, an influence on a certain outcome, then you can't actually call it lucky. So I, I would say that there is a really a, a conceptual tension between luck and control. Okay, and, that, and that's important because um, the, there, there are different definitions of luck, different kinds of luck. And what you're describing is one of them called dumb luck, meaning you didn't have anything to do with it, it just happened. Uh, but other definitions do include agency of the person and also uh, being in the right place at the right time is not just an accident sometimes. It's, it's somehow you can find your way to the right place at the right time. So I, I'm more interested in figuring out how things 
how the person might have something to do with it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's uh, because I'm a psychotherapist. I look for self responsibility, and to and yes. to say to say that the person in the middle of it had nothing to do with it is a hard one for me. I I understand I understand that that, that initial reaction. Um, I too have that, um, but uh, in the moral luck debate, yeah, we, yeah, yeah. There we distinguish a diff very, uh, very uh, different types of of luck, and taken all together, and that is sort of the conclusion that a very famous American philosopher Thomas Nagel drew in the seventies already. Taken all together, there seems to be no agent left if we uh, include the prehistory until an agent could act and everything that happens after uh, and look how much was in control of that agent there is no, not much left for what you can be responsible for and that's that's why nagel came to the conclusion uh, responsibility and agency vanishes oh that's very interesting and But, i can uh, apply that reasoning to alexander fleming and, uh, and his petri dish Yes. So in Fleming's case, you would, for instance, say that uh, hasn't it been the case that by being prepared, in a sense, having worked with these kind of uh, antiseptic agents before, having having done his scientific work, having been uh, really uh, virtuous and careful, well, Fleming was not particularly careful in, in working with his, but he, he had a he had a trained eye. For, yes. he, he knew what he was looking for. Um, isn't that, in a sense, his agential contribution to this, to this, uh, to this discovery? And I would, on the one hand, agree that is true. On the other hand, we can imagine that he could have had exactly the same capacities and the same the same skills and virtues, and what happened in August and September 1928 could not have happened nevertheless. And then he would not have received the Nobel Prize and not have received the, the public recognition that he received. Uh, I, I think I'm getting this because I think Samantha, again, uh, co-head co of the Serendipity Society, um, was saying that Uh, people had seen this penicillin mold thing happen before, and just nothing came out of it. It has been it has been perceived before, uh, sort of a similar uh, this a similar process. Um, they didn't. They also didn't really identify the gravity of uh, what they were seeing. Well, neither and did Fleming. Neither did Fleming. He he also didn't immediately apply it into a clinical or translate yeah. it into into the clinical context. Well, I'm beginning to see what you're talking about, because Fleming, like those before him, could have been made this discovery, written the paper, and nothing happened. But because Flory and Chain needed something to, in their studies, and it just happened to be around, I thought, in uh, flasks. At Oxford, that led to the next step, but without Mary Hunt, it would never have really happened. It, Or, and even and even worse, Bernie. In the in the end, Fleming could have been looking for exactly this this um, fluid his life long without without finding it. So all his skills and virtues could have simply been futile in a sense, if he had not had the luck to uh, find this uh, agent in his laboratory in 1928. Okay, and uh, well, that was luck that I would say that he had some agency for. I mean, it's, we can argue about that because he was prepared to see it from his earlier experiences, as other people may have been before him to see that penicillin mold might do something like this. The luck part of it was that, that it was beyond his control is that uh, the Oxford guys were using it in their flask cleaning and uh, Florian Chain found it and that he had no control over. Mm -hmm. I think that's more the point I'm getting from you mm -hmm. is that, that he 
couldn't have made any of that happen afterwards. And certainly he didn't influence Mary Hunt to find the, 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 the mold on, on the melon in Peoria. So this now I'm getting the idea, and I think of it in different ways, that, that there's so many other people. We stand on the shoulders of giants. It's another way of saying it. We're coming to the end of this segment. We're talking with Martin Sand about luck in science, scientific discovery on the Exxon Broadcast Network. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar's sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. They are here, and they've been here for thousands of years, making their presence known in the shadows. They might be seen by a lonely motorist on a deserted road late at night, or by a frightened and confused husband in the bedroom he is sharing with his wife. But who are they? What do they want? Why are they here? Perhaps most concerning, has the government been aware of their presence all along? The new book by Ellie Marzulli, UFO Disclosure, The 70-Year Cover-Up Exposed, delves into the world of UFOs. Can full disclosure be soon? Order now and receive a free hour and 37-minute DVD on the UFO phenomenon, UFOs Are Real. Get both the book and the DVD, a $40 value, for only $19.99. To order your book and DVD today, go to lamarzuli.net. That's L-A-M-A-R-Z-U-L-L-I.net. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Memorable dynamic presentations are a not so secret weapon in the business world. Do you have a powerful message that must be shared, but you haven't found a way to deliver that message? Do you want to be known as a top public speaker who gets amazing results? Are you ready to create and deliver your powerful message? Thomas Hyde can help you create and deliver your speech to get the results you desire. Visit IconQuality.com. Did you expect your business to flourish, but instead it plateaued or didn't get off the ground yet? Would you like to achieve massive goals and discover new sources of income within your business? When you're ready to experience that type of success with fast results, Cindy Hendricks is the business coach for you. Her work with entrepreneurs and business owners has been life-changing. To get you and your business where you want to be, go to imaginemoresuccess.com. Has the fear of public speaking stalled your business or personal life? What would you give to develop and maintain supreme confidence? 
have an invaluable private program to always perform at your best. Imagine how you would feel. You can have all that and so much more today with Thomas Hyde's life-changing course called Number One Fear Unleashed. Visit NumberOneFear.com and be liberated from your fear of public speaking. Welcome back. Welcome back to CC with BB. I am your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We're talking with Martin Sand about luck and a particularly kind of luck, luck that is that is focused on scientific and technological discoveries and with the focus on Alexander Fleming and the discovery of penicillin. And Martin is saying that luck is beyond the agent's control. And this is a different definition from luck, which I've had, which is luck is opportunity meets preparation. Tell us more about what you mean by luck is beyond the agent's control, Martin. So thank you, Bernie. This is what I believe really is the, this is why luck is, it is by definition that if someone could take an ordinary action like um, buying buying yourself a, a drink you wouldn't not consider that as as being lucky because it has been within your control that you got a you got a beer instead of a coke or vice versa and so luck i i understand is by by definition beyond an agent's control and because of that it poses a particular challenge for the attribution of responsibility. Whatever, whatever is beyond the agent's control is not something for which the agent should be responsible. <laughs> if, we look, if we look then again into the case of Alexander Flaming, we will have to ask our, ourselves, if having acknowledged now that so many people contributed to the global success of penicillin, why is he praised for it yeah. in, to the degree that he is praised for? Yeah. And and I, I personally am also flipping back and forth between acknowledging that clearly that he, he did his work, he prepared himself by having studied antiseptic agents for a long time, um, while acknowledging at the same time, well, there was so much coincidence and so much chance involved in, in that whole process that I just I don't find an algorithm that could subtract one from the other to to carve out what what exactly precisely his agential contribution was and for which he's responsible. If we could find such a function, such a formula that would be that would be great. But in philosophy we're still searching for it. Now when you 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 will talk about ethics here. Um, the ethics of attribution, I think. And before you do that, would you differentiate ethics from morality? I have a very broad definition. Well, I think that morality is more like a, a, a sum of values and, and norms that people have, while ethic, ethics is really the systematic study uh, in order to find a consistent system of values and norms. Wow. So the, the ordinary and critical study to uh, and systematic approach to find to find a theory of values and norms that is that is consistent. Wow. Okay, because <laughs> that's not the definition I got. Uh, that mo morality is what culture tells you, and ethics is what you tell yourself. Uh, that's a simple version of it. Uh, but let's let's talk about the morality or ethics, um, the ethics of attribution in scientific discovery. Go ahead. Yes. So in this case, we would we would look particularly at the concept of responsibility. This this is a crucial. Uh, the crucial one, and when we read about Fleming, we we read, for instance, in an account from Bennett and Chung from 2001, that Fleming is an enduring role model for success in clinical research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we have to wonder how can that be if we dis if we subtract, if we really uh, discard the fact that the ultimate outcome of this, the discovery of penicillin cannot be wholly attributed to him. Yeah, is is then the only thing that he's a role model for really 
his skills and that he prepared. But that is not what you get the Nobel Prize for. No. So we have a complex, a complex narrative of the discovery of penicillin. And we have this, what, what is supposedly is this outstanding praiseworthiness of Fleming. And, and those pictures don't go together. No, they don't. And you find that, shall I say, unethical? <laughs> I find it paradoxical. I find it <laughs> deep, deeply unsettling. But I also don't really have a solution to offer, to be honest. Uh, there are a number of arguments out there how we can deal with it. I myself tried to propose one in a recent paper in Science which and Engineering. Which is what? What is your proposal? So what is, I think, at least an important first step is to make a clear conceptual distinction, which is what I, I haven't been doing now for, for the sake of, of simplicity, yeah. but a clear conceptual distinction between reward, the Nobel Prize as a, as a, um, a societal way of rewarding scientific excellence and a more basic understanding of moral responsibility. And maybe those two different those two different concepts or these two different things uh, have uh, different requirements the uh, maybe it is the case that for to justify reward we need a more tangible output while when we talk about moral responsibility we can be a bit more let's say let's say playful we can uh, we can we can um, just hypothetically assume what someone's moral responsibilities would be if certain things happened or did not happen, you know. But this is not the way we can justify, I think, scientific reward. So, and this, but both moral responsibility and reward is sometimes subsumed under the umbrella term responsibility. And there are important conceptual distinctions to be made. Yes, there are. Uh, and do do you draw a conclusion? I think that's I think that's that's, a, that's sort of a first step to disentangle this problem of luck and agency in in science. But looking again at the bigger picture, it is. It is a complicated. <laughs> it it's complicated, compli and philosophers yeah. tend to complicate things, from my perspective. Uh, just even well, looking looking at the definition of random in the Stanford Dictionary or Encyclopedia of uh, Philosophy makes me crazy. I can't read it. It's like uh, there's too many thises and thats and whats and ifs and maybes in mm -hmm. it. Uh, that uh, I'm a practical guy and have to come up with something that might be useful. And, and that's what I mean, useful. So when, what I'm getting from this discussion is a question more broadly about uh, human responsibility itself. That uh, if, we, if we say Fleming isn't responsible particularly for what happened with penicillin, it begins to question the responsibility of any of us in what we do in our lives. And while it's not the same thing, it brings up the question of free will. And I don't like the question, do we have free will or not? That's not the right question. It's how much free will do we have, is my opinion. So where does this luck idea begin to maybe generalize to you of no responsibility into the general living the life of our, our listeners. Yeah, so there is a close overlap between this moral luck debate with which I'm concerned in my own research and the freedom of the will debate indeed, because we were talking about his skills and virtues before and the way he approached um, his experiments as his own agential contribution to the discovery. But we even here have to ask how much was that actually not a product of his his upbringing in England at the time. Yeah, uh, would he really have developed those capacities had he been born in a different country? So we engage here in a bit of counterfactual reasoning, and and again the agency slips a bit through our fingers. It, we lose <laughs> a, we lose a grip on the agency part. Um, and the that more, is the more we talk about the context, both historically and currently, the more we lose. We the the agency slips through our fingers. That's this, great. That's great. 
yeah. And that is the phenomenon that Nagel really describes also in his in his moral luck paper, which I, yeah, which which uh, sometimes also <laughs> drives me a bit crazy. But uh, yeah, we um, whether there is a satisfactory solution to this, I don't know. What we do have is we have clearly established in science and and in 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 law as well policies that at least um, pretend as if there are actions and as if there is accountabil <laughs> accountability yes. and responsibility. Yeah, we and, do. <laughs> and, and these have important functions to fulfill. And maybe we can justify those functions simply without reference to a very substantial concept of um, moral responsibility. Maybe the the pure agency that we that we want for moral responsibility is in everyday in ordinary life not attainable well i was going to say just the opposite it's in ordinary life it's where it is obtainable like um, when i'm talking with patients about like maybe you should get more sleep mm -hmm. uh, and maybe you should go to bed at a certain time every day because uh, that's going to help your mood and they have the responsibility of being able to make that decision, don't they? When, well, we, yeah, when we do, when we make these recommendations, we assume that, that they do. Um, but it may be something else. Now, I, this is, this, we're, unfortunately, we've come to the end of our show, and you're challenging the whole basis of what I do as a therapist, so, but that's fun. Yeah. You, you've been listening to... Connecting with Coincidence, I'm your host, Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD. We're on the Exxon Broadcast Network, and our guest has been Martin Sand. And I don't know if I'm responsible for signing off on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the invitation, Bernie. You're welcome. <laughs>